Hi, and welcome to the Fem Factor Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Laura. And Dr. Nicole. This is a place for women just like you, desiring to learn, be inspired, and find community. We'll be discussing everything from health, longevity, and aging, to mindset, high performance, and cycle syncing, to intuition and healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All from a lens that is based both upon the latest health research and feminine energetics. Blending equal parts scientific evidence and inner wisdom, we invite you to elevate your biology, empower your intuition, and embody your magic. Our guest today is Dr. Diane Mueller. Dr. Diane helps women delve into the personal aspects of their libido because, let's face it, few things are more intimate than that. She has personally experienced the ups and downs of libido in her own life. There were times when her desire was intense and the thoughts of intimacy were always on her mind. And then there were periods when severe chronic illness made even walking a challenge and her libido seemed to vanish. In past relationships, she has witnessed the initial surge of desire only to see it dwindle as challenges arose. To reclaim what she had lost, Dr. Diane immersed herself in studying under relationship coaches, sex coaches, and even tantric practices. She took up pole dancing and sensual dance classes to rekindle her passion. And additionally, she has dedicated herself to reading medical literature on libido to gain a comprehensive understanding from both a research and medical perspective. Dr. Diane has a double doctorate, one as a naturopathic doctor, and secondly, as a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine. This episode is incredible, and I hope you enjoy it as much as Dr. Nicole and I did. Welcome back to the Femme Factor podcast. Laura and I are very excited to have our next guest, Dr. Diane Mueller of My Libido Doc on our um, episode today. And Dr. Diane, I'm so excited because we connected with you through Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. And for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, I want to say it's episode four, go back and listen to it because we had the most fun time cracking up, talking about beating around the bush, like it was all about (laughs) vaginas and sexy time and the best, most fun. And so when she's like, you have to talk to my friend, Dr. Diane Mueller, we said, please, please connect us. So welcome, welcome to the Fem Factor. Thank you. Thank you. You caught me on a good day too, from a juiciness standpoint. I am actually in the process of putting on a summit with Dr. Betsy. So she and I are partnered for a a sexual health summit. So we've been on the phone all day interviewing people about all things sex and libido and all the juicy topics that go with that. So we're kind of in the in the talk around this today. So it's a perfect day to have this conversation with you ladies. So thanks for having me. Well, we love this topic about sensuality, sexuality, libido, all of these things. And so can you tell us a little bit, we'd love to hear about the journey that got you to this point. And, you know, have you always been interested in libido and sex, or was this uh, something maybe that happened due to circumstances? You know, how did you get to be known as my libido doc or your libido doc? Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of a personal and professional pain to pleasure story. 
So essentially I was raised very, very religious where sex was super taboo. Masturbation was taboo. Pleasure was taboo. All of those types of things. So I had a lot of like shame and guilt and kind of self-esteem issues around my own sexuality. And that actually worsened when I was raped when I was about 18 years old. And on all of the trauma, you know, associated with that, which kind of further led me into this, say, you know, shame box around, around sex and sexuality. So that's really where it came out of initially was being a functional doc, being somebody in the holistic healthcare space, I was very interested in personally what was going on there, what was happening to me, why I would dissociate with sex, why I would shut down, why I would go through periods of almost the opposite of trying to wake that up through a lot of promiscuity and these sorts of things. And I just felt very disconnected to myself that way. So that really led through my own personal journey of just studying a lot of different things through Tantra, through various different Chinese medicine perspectives, Taoist philosophies on sexuality, relationship books, relationship coaching, of course, my own trauma therapy to deal with some of the residual impacts I had from my own sexual trauma. And throughout my own studies, that's like, that's kind of really, really, I would say would birth it in my own personal life. And, you know, through some of the, it led to some of the relationship coaching that I've gone through today to lead to what I feel like is the best relationship of my entire life, personally and sexually. And then in my own practice and my own medical practice, one of the things that is interesting is I work with a lot of, I have two different practices and one of them I work with a lot of chronic disease. So I have my chronic disease practice. I have my libido practice. And some people are like, well, how are these things related, right? But, you know, as fellow docs, I know you know this around like all of the body, all of the mind, there's so much interrelationship for, from everything here. And one of the things I was finding in my chronic disease practice was as I treated people for chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and Lyme and dementia and brain fog and all these like really complicated, you know, situations, almost everybody said their libido was shot at the beginning of treatment. And then almost everybody said their libido was restored at the end. Right. So it's almost like I kind of fell into the medical part through just watching what happened when we're actually getting to the root causes, getting the inflammation down, helping the circulatory system and more, and how that was really reviving not only people's sexuality, but their relationships as well. Wow. What a story. Well, first, thank you for sharing so much of your story, just so we, we know where you're coming from. I'm sure it's relatable for a lot of women listening. And I, I love how passionate you are about this. You share that with Nicole and I, that was one of our, our big goals when we set out on this podcast was how do we bring these conversations to the table that so many women still feel like they kind of have to like whisper in the corner and we can't talk about this out loud, but they're a really big deal. And they, they do kind of permeate every area of our life. It's not just the bedroom. It's our day-to-day -day vitality. It's how we show up in our businesses. So it's, it's such an important piece of the puzzle for so many. And I, I was, I was laughing in my head, listening to, to you talk about, uh, you know, in, you have this chronic, chronic illness clientele and 
they're like, oh, interesting story. As we kind of went through all this at the end, they're like, oh, my sex drive is back. Yay, bonus. I, Nicole and I were at an event last weekend that was full of a bunch of female entrepreneurs and business owners. And I saw some of my former clients there and one of them came up and pulled me aside. And she's like, I don't know how to say this because this isn't what I came to you for, but doc, my sex drive is back. And I'm like, yes, we have to celebrate this. This is a big deal. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation today just to help help normalize it and realize there's nothing secretive about this. This is, this is how, how we should feel day in and day out. So, you know, you, you have these two practices, switching gears a little bit. You have this chronic illness practice. You have the My Libido Doc. I, if I'm remembering correctly, I also saw you do some business coaching along the way too. So I'm, that's something that I'm really curious about is I feel like there's a big intersection there, like business coaching but also the libido side of things. Do you bring that into your business coaching as well? And if so, I would love to hear how. Obviously, you don't have to give out your secret sauce, but I think that's such a fascinating connection when I see business coaches bringing that in and just knowing your medical background. I would love if we could chat a little bit about that. Yeah, I wish I could remember. There was some YouTube meme I saw recently. It was just like a short little clip that somebody there was a male and it was making fun of business coaches like myself that actually talk about sex and business kind of combined and I was so like fired up about this I wasn't really sure how to respond to it and by the time I was like thinking around like, oh this is what I want to say I couldn't find the the clip anymore but it is really interesting right because some of the links between business and sexuality and sex really come down to I think the fact that being in our body, like like sex is a representation and being able to have a beautiful sex life with a partner or with yourself is really related to, I feel like directly your ability to be present and feel your body and feel confident. And we see this even in research, right? Like body image, for example, the ability to stay present, the ability to stay focused, is really actually related to the ability to have a really fulfilling sex life. And, and again, that can be with yourself, that can be with a partner. This doesn't have to be a, you have to have a partner to have good sex, right? So that really, to me, is great information when it is related to business. Because in business, when we're more self-confident, when we have more like, passion in our body, right? When we have more drive, when we have more self-esteem, all of these things play into our ability to find good clients, our ability to enjoy our work. Like we see so much with sex and sexuality with oxytocin release, that cuddle hormone, that love hormone, and that's connected to stress regulation, right? Well, any entrepreneur out there knows like stress regulation is like a day-to-day thing that we need to check in on. And getting oxytocin to release that we do through our sex life, that we do through cuddling, that we do through intimacy, that we do through foreplay, really is a way of managing stress, of helping dopamine, of helping self-confidence, of helping body image, helping self-esteem, which all play back into the business. Now, I am not somebody out there, and this is perhaps what the YouTuber meant, I'm not somebody out there by any means that's like, you should just orgasm and not do anything. And all of a sudden, all your dreams are going to come true, right? It's not I mean, if only it was that, that easy. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. We would be a very happy society. 
But what I am suggesting with this is it's like, it's like the whole concept of action and intention. And so the idea with this is let's not just have say a 90 day business goal. Like one of the things that I talk to the women I coach in business about is let's work on our week, our month, our 90 day pleasure goals as well. And where are we actually finding the time in our busy entrepreneurial life, in our lives as parents, as entrepreneurs, sometimes also holding down a regular job as partners, as friends, as athletes, there's all these different hats we put on. How do we incorporate and make sure that we are not losing track of our own pleasure, of our own oxytocin, of that sense inside of us while we are serving so we can serve from that place? which is just so much yummier anyways. It's so much yummier to serve from that place. So that's an example, like for your question, Laura, that's an example of how in the business coaching I work is really by talking on a day-to-day basis within the context of the business plan and goals of how does this actually fit in and how does the business plan and how how does the pleasure plan, how do those actually intersect in our day-to-day life? Um, I just love that. I feel like bringing sensuality and sexuality into all arenas of our life is the big missing piece, like the gap that so many people in health or in business are just not talking about. And a lot of times it's cast as frivolous or not necessary, or, you know, something for when you're on vacation, or you have extra time, instead of it being a priority and a primary way of acting upon whatever the to-do list is, or the, you know, business plan is. And so I love that. I think pleasure goals are so important. And it's true when someone is feeling good in their body has been pleasured by self or someone else. Like there's just this energy about you that magnetizes other people, whether it's to your business or in friendships, or, you know, you're able to get healthier because you're feeling better. You get more connected to your body. This is one word you mentioned a lot. And I think is so important is disconnected or connected Um, that is really what it all boils down to, right? How are we going to feel connected to our bodies? And with some people, they just haven't even gone down this path, especially I'm right there with you. You briefly touched upon it, but I was brought up in a very religious, high control household where, yeah, sex was bad and not just bad. It was like evil and sinful and you're going to go to hell or God's not going to love you, you know? And so there is so much shame and guilt associated with this. And because of all the shame and guilt, we don't talk about it. So then we think, well, we're the only ones that are weirdos. And it's like, no, this is happening to all of us, but we're not fucking talking about it. Like, let's get it out there. And so it's just, I have goosebumps. I love, love, love what you're bringing into the world and that more people I hope follow our example of bringing this out into the open and talking about it. Now, with that being said, I wonder, my question is like when people come to you, 
do they feel a little bit of resistance diving into this area or are they coming to you like, oh, you are the only one that I know talking about this and this is why I want to work with you? Yeah, thank you for that question. Most people, by the time they've reached me, they've heard me talk on things like this. They've read articles I've written. So most people are fairly primed for these kind of conversations. It does, you know, it is across the board, right? So if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin with these conversations. Like that's something that we talk about in, in any of our beginning work is like, how comfortable are you, you know, with these kind of conversations? Where are the hangups? Where are the areas that you feel like, you know, some, some somatic resistance, right? Something in your body that's feeling like it's closing down or cramping up when we say the word sex, when we say the word intimacy, when we, you know, use various types of terms that we use in these conversations. But, you know, it's been really interesting in the conversation around normalizing, which, which is related to all of this is, uh, so I snowboard a lot and I run sometimes this social experiment when I'm on chairlifts. And the social experiment is what do I tell people? Because chairlifts are like an area where you're together for five or seven minutes and it's superficial chit chat, right? So it's very interesting to see what happens. And the social experiment is, oh, what do we do for work? And I will just say Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome and see where that conversation goes. And mostly that conversation goes to like, oh yeah, uh, my sister had that and the conversation switches and moves on, right? There's not like a lot of substance there. If I say I do sex and libido and I'm the sex doc, it is unbelievable how many strangers are pouring everything they want to pour out. And it's like, we are instantly in this really cool, deep conversation about old lovers or things they're working on or problems or joys with their partner, or, you know, it can go so many different directions, but it's like, oh, over here, superficial, as soon as I say sex, let's go there. So I think people enter my work at a wide variety of wherever they're at on their own path, right? There's no right or wrong place to enter. And that being said, I, I really feel like with what I've seen, so many people are looking for the opportunity where it's actually safe to have these conversations. And I think because people have heard me and they already know that I'm okay with these conversations, a lot of times people come into my work really kind of primed with like, oh yeah, we can go there because they, they've already heard, they've heard my shame stories, they've heard my guilt stories, they know I've had my own journey. So, so I find that most people come in feeling like fairly safe to go there. I love that. The chairlift experiment. It's like <laughs> you're kind of stuck with someone for five, 10 minutes. So could, could go either way. Um, <laughs> I, that last part, when you're saying, you know, people just, it's almost like people just want to be invited into having these conversations. And I, I think sitting here as three healthcare practitioners, it's interesting when I look at, there's this wave of providers turning to consulting and coaching formats, creating programs, creating communities. And I truly believe that like, this is what that allows us to do is we get to now extend those invitations because we're not ruled by insurance coding and things we can talk about and not talk about. And it's, these are the things that people want to talk about that are so relevant to their health. Like believe it or not. And I'm sure those listening who are not healthcare providers, like most people don't want to just talk about their lab list and then be sent on the way with medication list. They want to talk about life. So I, I think it's great that, you know, I, I feel like this, 
this practice you have, if that's what I can call it, it's really just inviting women to let's have a bigger conversation about what it means to really be well and to thrive and to, to kind of stand in that feminine energy, even though we are building businesses along the way, like you can, you can do it with both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Like you said, it doesn't have to be just sit there and receive, like you can still take action while also exploring this whole, this whole other part of you. Um, I want to go back to, to us talking about how, you know, you have these two practices and this, this whole concept of a chronic disease Lyme practice. And I I'm thinking of, you know, you bring that up on the chairlift and it's kind of met with like, Oh yeah. Like not excited about it. <laughs> there's, uh-huh. there's not a lot of excitement in talking <laughs> about when you have a chronic illness, like it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious if, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you talk with some of those clients about this, because I, I meet so many women who have totally labeled themselves by those diagnosis diagnoses, and they've kind of laid claim to it. My Lyme disease, my chronic fatigue. And I, I feel like it's an important conversation to keep having that how we speak to ourselves matters. And, you know, if, if we start separating our identity just a little bit from, from these conditions, understanding that, yes, it's part of your, your journey. No one's taking away from that. And you don't have to make it who you are. You get to have these other things. Like, do you see that as kind of a, a bit of a roadblock in some of these conversations where you're trying to bring in libido and pleasure and sensuality when someone is so wrapped up in that diagnosis, in that label in the first place? Yeah, I appreciate this question. I mean, there's, and there's a lot of different directions we can go with this question. You know, one thing is what you're hinting at. I really appreciate the use of the word my, because that is a very common, right? Phrase that gets used in medical practices around my fibromyalgia, my chronic fatigue, my Lyme disease, whatever it is. And there is an element, right? Where having a diagnosis, especially when people have been sick for a long, long period of time, there's so much of like relief that can happen by having a label to say, oh, now I have an explanation for why I feel so bad when nobody's been able to give me an explanation at all. But I think some of the problem is that diagnostic becomes the, almost like the thing that people hold on to so much so that we actually become our disease in many ways where it become by that, I mean, it becomes so much of our identity and who we are. And, you know, truthfully to answer the part around like that relationship of that and libido for most of my people that come in from a true chronic disease standpoint, most of those people talk about libido, talk about how it would be great to have a better libido, how they really feel bad if they're in a partnership for like that falling apart and the impact on the relationship. But for most people they're you know, in that part of my practice, they're really just trying to survive the day. So it's almost that they're in like surviving over thriving instead of thriving over surviving. They're really just in that survival type of mode. So even though they mention libido, it's like, it tends to be much further down in the treatment. What's like energy starts coming back and their brain turns back on. Then it's like, oh yeah, I'm ready to work on sex now. Right. So it's not, it's definitely in that part of the practice and that practice, it's not a predominant early on, you know, conversation. 
but I do really, as far as like that, that label, I do really feel like that in that chronic disease community is a very important thing around like honoring, honoring that you finally have a diagnosis, honoring that part of yourself that feels relief, honoring all of that. But then I really prescribe to this like both and kind of mentality, right? We can be honoring of that. And we don't also, we also like cannot be stuck there, right? We can move on to say, okay, there's a part of me that feels really, really relieved by this. And there's part of me that might actually identify with, you know, being a Lyme victim, right? But then there's another part that can be really moving into the state of empowerment, of, you know, of fighting to not just survive, but thrive, of being something so far in magnitude beyond the disease and of taking the responsibility out of that victim type of scenario, which is so easy and natural and normal to fall into, but taking the responsibility to move out of that, to become more empowered and get back to thriving. Did that fully answer your question? I feel like it took us on a few different directions there. <laughs> no, it, it did. It was great. And I, I love that. That piece is so important that sometimes you are in survival mode and that's okay. And, and it's just a season. And there's the possibility of more for you. So I, I love that that was kind of how you threaded that was it's okay if that's where you're at and there gets to be more, right? So thank you for that answer. Yeah. I love how you talked about, um, going from victim to empowerment and it's not that one isn't a victim at some point, but how long do we stay in that role? And at what point do we move from that into victor or empowered and, um, you know, thriving? And so I wonder if you have any tools, because I'm sure some of your patients, this journey from surviving to thriving may take a really long time for others who are a little bit more ready that could probably be shortened into a few weeks versus a few months or years and so i'm wondering are there certain tools or have you noticed when people are able to make that switch or that progression quicker what have been some of the characteristics or things that were implemented quicker without resistance or ha have you seen any patterns for for that yeah this is such a cool question because we can tie this back to libido and sexuality so i'm gonna speak at this from kind of two different lenses here because one thing that i love about what happens in the bedroom and wherever your intimate expression you know happens one thing i love about this is when we are tuned in sexually, that is such a representation for life, right? So if we're in a moment with ourselves or with a partner and we're like feeling all of the pleasure and we are feeling every touch and the day has completely disappeared from around us and there's no stress and there's all of this love and all of this connection, the ability to be in and to access that state, like we cannot access fully that state of embodiment without having a lowering of our stress hormones, without realizing that we're almost in a, like in that state, we're almost in a meditative state, right? We have to have a certain amount of energy 
in order to show up that way. So in some ways, our ability to show up fully in our sexual selves is really in some ways like a barometer of health. Like I tell people, like some people talk about headaches and if they don't drink enough water, their first sign is a headache, right? So we have these barometers. Oh, if I get a headache, that might mean I'm dehydrated. So we have these check and balance barometers and sex can be that, right? So sex is this barometer for sometimes the ability to how energetic are you? How calm are you? How able are you to be present in your life, right? Sex and, and being able to show up fully sexually is a barometer for that. So that's part one and lens one and how that ties into your question around tips and commonalities and things that I've seen people that when people get success faster, a lot of that has to do with their ability to regulate their mind and to bring their nervous system into a state of healing. And it's such a vicious cycle we get into, right? In health, in disease, in life, there's this vicious cycle where it's like, when we're talking about disease, there's this thing, I call it, you know, the, the morning body scan. And there's thing that happens in disease where it's like, you can wake up, and a lot of people go through this. When I was at the heart of my own personal illness, I went through this of waking up and being like, what the heck's wrong with me? And going to scan, you know, my head hurts. I can't swallow. I can't move. Oh, my hip hurts. I'm so tired. My eyes are dry on and on and on. And we do that scan. And what happens? Our nervous system goes into fight or flight. And our nervous system's like, crap, I'm trying to survive. I got to kick out all this adrenaline. And that adrenaline makes our mind stuck in this loop and it continues. And when we're in this loop, we're not kicking out the molecules that say heal and repair. So one of the most common things I see with people that the treatment moves faster is their ability to stay committed to some sort of plan that is teaching their nervous system to be more present, to get more into what, you know, we know medically as these, the parasympathetic, but you know, the rest that I just, the heal, the calming part of our nervous system, where we're really telling our body, Hey, things are cool. You can, you can take a step back and heal and repair, right? We want that signal to be going out. And there's lots of different ways we can access that signal. You know, some people love meditation. If you love meditation, meditate. You know, there's other ways though, breath work and visualization techniques and guess what? Sex. So all of these different things and like, and sex, I really like feel is a way where it is a barometer, but it also can be used as a healing technique. Cause like I said, like in order for us to really enjoy sex, we have to be in that state where we're fully present, right? We have to be in that state where we're fully engaged, where we're not worried when we're deeply, you know, wrapped up in a lover's arms we're deeply wrapped, wrapped up in our own pleasure session, we're not in that evolutionary state of, oh my gosh, you know, tiger coming or the current version of the evolutionary state of, oh my gosh, deadline at work, right? We're not thinking of those things. We're thinking purely of that pleasure. And that's really getting our nervous system to get into that right state. So that's what I would say is like that, that to sum that up, the nervous system and the ability to work on the nervous system in the mind. So what comes to mind right away um, is I'm sure people say, look, Dr. Diane, I'm stressed the fuck out. I am not in the mood to have sex. So what happened? Because, you know, it's like, well, 
if you have sex, then that might give you in the mood to lower your stress and all these things, but that's easier said than done. So is there something that, you know, you suggest or advise that for people? Cause I know we have listeners right now that's saying like, I am not in the mood to have sex. I don't care how much you say it's going to lower my stress. Like I have all these other things. And that's the last thing I'm thinking of, even though I know every single one of us sitting here talking is like, oh, if you go have some sex, you're going to feel better and you're going to be more productive in all the other areas of your life. But for those of us who haven't quite subscribed to that philosophy, what would you say? Yeah, just think? so the just so the femme factor inbox doesn't blow up with people mad at us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people mad at you guys, and I want to make sure I'm speaking in a way that's, of course, very uh, helpful and actionable. Right. So, thank you for the orientation of the community that way. So, you know, certainly the one of the things to get across is sex is not the only way. You know, I am the the I mean, I am your libido doc, I am a libido doc, but sex is not the only way we can attain those. So that's first of all, the problem is if I just stop there though, a lot of the other things that we do to really attain this, you know, attain this type of our nervous system, meditation, breath work, all of these different things. I actually see in my client population, a very similar resistance, whether it's sex or meditation or visualization or breath work. It's a, it's a very commonly a same sort of resistance. And some of it is like, do you know how many things I have going on today? You want me to do one more thing? Are you out of your mind? Right. You know, so it's like, and I get it. Right. I get it. Uh, and I think this is a very normal thing in our first world culture and society that we're so you know blessed to be in is that it is very demanding and very busy as compared to you know people in some other societies in the world. And so with that being said, it's like whether we're doing something like starting a new workout routine, you know, that's another example of this for anybody who's not been like a long-term athlete where that's like really woven into a habit and you're asked to go exercise, like, oh, that level of motivation. And sometimes there's that new year's resolution and it lasts for like a month and then it fades. There's a few different thoughts here. One is purely on the whole process of what we see like with sex or meditation or breath work, any of the stuff. Usually if it's that motivation that is needed to get going, that really helps to see the results. And once you see the results and it's easier to motivate. So if you're feeling this way with sex and you're open to self-pleasure and masturbation, I would definitely encourage that because that sometimes can get you in the mood. And what we actually see research-wise is once you start having sex, once you start masturbating, then you're actually, you get all that, those good dopamine and those oxytocin hormones being released and you're driven to have more and more of it. So some of it is a mind over matter starting point with any of this. Like in breath work, I say the same thing that you can get benefits with breath work on 60 seconds a day. Most people don't notice it if they don't do at least 10 minutes at a time. So you want to do at least 10 minutes oftentimes in the beginning so that you actually start to feel those changes. So you're actually motivated to do more. But I really, really like the books, um, Tiny Habits, Atomic Habits, BJ Fogg, James Clear have done some of this work. And these books, you know, these the research in these books are just phenomenal because they really talk about humans and how humans make changes that last. So that's what we're really talking about here right now around like 
how do we actually build a new habit into our body, into our life, whether it's sex, whether it's breath work, whether it's exercise, whatever it is, whatever, you know, choose your own adventure with regulating your nervous system here. And so the idea is a lot of people go into things like New Year's resolutions with this whole great philosophy of like, we're going to do this thing and we're going to exercise for an hour every day. We're going to have sex every day. We're going to do breath work for an hour every day, whatever it is, right? And they it goes really well and then it burns out because that's not how humans make changes that last and how humans make changes that last, according to the studies covered in these couple of books, really is related to atomic, to tiny habits. So the idea with this is what we actually commit to is what we can do on the hardest of days. So on the hardest of days, when we're talking about sex and you're like, how the heck am I going to do this? On the hardest of days, could you just like give yourself a big bear hug and say, I love you, right? Could you put your tennis shoes on and do one flight of stairs? Could you do two air squats while you're taking a bathroom break in the bathroom stall? Could you take one deep breath? And you want to actually commit to the habit that you can do when you're like, I am having the worst day of my life. I have no time. Everything is crazy. So oftentimes you're committing to like a five to 30 second thing. And what winds up happening in the reward system of the body is when we start having success on those really hard days and the body is like, wow, I did something that was kind of sexual, kind of sensual, breath work, exercise, whatever it is. I did something that was good for me, even if it was five seconds on the hardest day of my life. Dopamine goes to the brain. It's like, whoa, whoa, I can do that, right? And that's what triggers this motivation and this feedback reward that says, okay, maybe I can do that again. So really working with how we actually effectively bring in new habits as humans, I think it's really important to the conversation. Yes. So many things I want to unpack there, but I'm going to start with that one and go backwards because I think that that is such a, I don't want to say error. It just, it kind of is an error people make. Instead, you know, we focus on these huge optimization things before we build those daily habit muscles. And then we wonder why we can't stick with things. We're like, gosh, why can't I do it? I got to start over. I fell off the wagon. Like all these phrases that I, I don't know about you two. I hate hearing them as a practitioner. I'm like, there is no wagon. That's not how this works, but it's those little things to build up that momentum before you step into the, I'm going to optimize this habit because you have to build that habit first, right? You know, to go with your exercise metaphor, you wouldn't walk into a gym and try and deadlift 300 pounds on your first day. Like you would just never do that. But we put these expectations on ourselves of, of trying to be so perfect in a thousand different things, because we decided that that moment, that is the time that we're going to start, you know, taking it to the next level, but there's all those little baby steps along the way. So I, I love those great tips for just those kind of micro habits, building up the brain chemistry momentum behind that, and then really starting to fine tune it as you go. And what I would add to that, since we're here talking about women is then we have the hormone piece to consider along the way, right? Like 
sometimes our hormones are not going to be favorable to certain habits that feel really good in different parts of our cycle. So building in this little bit of flexibility, uh, something I've learned from Nicole is really, you know, this concept of rituals that have some space for flexibility versus the same stringent routine day after day, because it allows just that little bit of flex room of, okay, maybe, you know, later in my cycle, I need a little more nourishment to get that parasympathetic activated. I need more than the 60 seconds of breath work. What I don't need is some super intense morning routine that's going to stress my body out more. I need more intimacy. I need more foreplay, whatever that looks like. And, you know, I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at how do we create healthy habits and really chase after that connection to ourselves that we started out this episode talking about. And of course, the last piece that I want to talk about is that that nervous system thread, because I think this is a really hot topic online right now. Everyone's talking about the nervous system. Some people correctly, some people maybe not so correctly, but such an important concept for what we're talking about, because if that nervous system is not resilient, if it can't flex back and forth between these two, like, you know, being in parasympathetic all the time, isn't great either, right? Especially if you are business owner driven entrepreneur, like you need to be able to flex back and forth between the two. So the goal of all these little tools of all these habits is how do we build a healthy, resilient nervous system that doesn't get stuck in one side or the other, and that we kind of understand when it's going a little bit too far in one direction or the other, and can kind of bring that back, back to normal. So I, I love some of the things that you recommended. Um, I've been trying to be really consistent with hypno breath work myself the last couple months. That's been really cool. And I found for me, PEMF has been another game changer with that. Like I'm a, I'm a data nerd. So like watching my HRV rise month after month using that, I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm never going to stop doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Data is so fun. It's so fun to get those instant feedbacks of I like, we can feel certain things, but seeing those metrics really, I think. I think seeing those metrics can just bring so much belief for the mind too, at least for those of us that love data around like, okay, well, I thought it felt better, but like, look at, look at my HRV, like in your example, like, holy cow. Okay. I definitely feel better. You know, it gets the mind really on board and believing it. And I do just want to say like, thank you too, for bringing up that point around like parasympathetic and like, I think the whole thing to make sure to drive home here is like, we're not talking about one way being the right way. Like a healthy body is a flexible body is an adaptable body. It can move. It's not going to be stuck in any one state and has the ability to, you know, it's like food is a great example. Like we can digest fats, we can digest carbs, we can digest protein. Like we have the flexibility metabolically to digest these various types of nutrients and I think there's so many things that are, that can happen sometimes where people get so stuck in like, this is the way versus like, Hey, flexible, like healthiness is really related in part to the ability of the body to adapt, to change, to be flexible, to be fluid with whatever is coming its way and to live in a high state with whatever is going on. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, that's so powerful. I love that. Like just to be more open, to be more curious, to not feel so set 
I know I'm sure you've worked with a lot, you and Laura have worked with a lot of patients where people are like, but I've been doing this my entire life. And you're like, and it's not working anymore. So we have to switch things up. And that is where so many people get that nervousness. But if we can switch the nervousness into curiosity and, oh, isn't that interesting? And I wanted to bring up what um, going back to your point about like habits and how that creates momentum. And I know so many times when we think about sex and like the pleasure it can bring many times, and this included me in the past, I was like, I don't have that much time, but there's this book that I finished reading now. I'm listening to her podcast. It's called You Are Not Broken by Dr. Kelly Casperson. And there's a lot of data in that. And I, what I love is in women, if they're on their own, they can orgasm within two to three minutes with a partner, especially with a male partner. So it could take 20 to 40 minutes. So we might be thinking if we have a male partner or even a female partner, like I don't have time. I don't have 20 minutes. I don't have 40 minutes. Girl, get your vibrator and go take three minutes. Seriously, stop scrolling and you can feel better in less than five minutes. But again, this is breaking down a lot of resistance, a lot of barriers. Probably people just blush that, oh my God, Dr. Nicole <laughs> talking about vibrators and orgasming in three minutes. But this can happen and it can be yours and it can really actually make a huge difference in your entire life and by bringing sexual wellness and sexual health up to the same level as brain health, hormone health, nutrition, exercise, stress, like those things are being talked about and are like, oh, if I want to live longer, if I want to be healthier, if I want to be at my best, I have to get all of these things, you know, knocked, dialed in and no one's talking about sex. And yet it is the, the missing puzzle piece and an important puzzle piece for longevity, for aging, for health. And it doesn't have to take that long. We just got to get connected and learn about our parts and how they work and what gets us going. And that I think can be a lot of the scariness or the resistance that people face when they, when they come to those terms. Yeah, totally agree. There's a study that actually is just a survey study and it showed that people are more sexually satisfied according to the survey when they are single and do not have a lover. So this is not single and on the prowl, right? This is like single, single, like no lovers, no sexual partners versus when they are in relationship or have a lover. So the study showed that like sexual satisfaction is not dependent upon a lover or a partner at all. Like, of course, that's a beautiful thing. But you can be very sexually satisfied with doing your two-minute vibrator practice, like you're saying. <laughs> love that. Love that. Diane, we could literally keep talking to you for hours, but I want to yeah. be respectful <laughs> of your time. So I for those of for those who are listening and they're like, okay, I want to follow this woman, love the way that she's speaking. Like, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? Yeah. So my website's super easy. It's mylibidodoc.com. I also have my chronic infection practice is mylimedoc.com. So if you, you know, kind of resonate with that, you can find me over there, but my libido practice is mylibidodoc.com. 
You can also find my YouTube channel, super easy, YouTube at my libido doc. So very, very easy to find me. And I should also tell you too, because you had mentioned this, I will give you guys, so listeners, I will give Laura and Nicole here a link to download. I have this, this free video ebook. So it's kind of a, how do I improve my libido from hormones, from how do I talk to my partner, from how do I get better sleep to enhance my hormones, kind of going over all like the basic foundation to build a better libido in very simple terms. It's all in video ebook format. So you don't have to read, you can take it on the go with you. So I will give them that link for you guys as well. If that's interesting, you can download that too. Thank you so much. That sounds like an incredible resource that will be so helpful for so many. So we will make sure to link that in the show notes. Uh, And that brings us to our last question, which is our question that we ask all of our guests, which is, Diane, if you could give a piece of advice to a younger version of you, what would it be? I would tell that younger version that there's so many different perspectives out there. I feel like a lot of my own shame and guilt that I've had to work through and I continue to have come up sometimes around childhood beliefs was because I had one perspective thrown at me. So I would really help that little girl understand that there's a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of different ways to live life and really encourage her to find which was true to her and to her intuition. Mm, That's so lovely. Well, Dr. Diane, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of The Fem Factor. This was such an important conversation, and we are so lucky that we were able to have it with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this work that you both are doing. Thanks for having me so much. This podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It should not be considered medical advice and or treatment. Although we are both doctors, we are not medical doctors or your medical doctor. What has been discussed should not take the place of your personal medical professional's advice, treatment, diagnosis, or care. If you love this podcast as much as we do, please take the time to subscribe, share, rate, and review. And we'd love if you would follow us over on Instagram. Our handles are at dr.lauradecessoris and at Dr. Nicole Marcioni, or you can just click on the links in our show notes.